Please Leave podcast, home to stories that haunt. These stories may contain graphic depictions of violence or explicit language. Listener discretion is advised. January 2nd, 1991, 1.21 p.m. This is the log of Michael Garrett, journalism student at Ohio University, currently on a plane on my way down to talk to my grandfather, Jack Garrett, of the U.S. Air Force and Army Corps of Engineers for our Jan term journalism assignment. I haven't seen my grandpa Jack in about two years, but we've kept in touch over the phone and the occasional written letter. He still really likes those. My dad, Thomas Garrett, always encourages me to reach out and chat to him. Jack Garrett, or just simply known as Grandpa, moving forward, holds nine different patents in engineering and spent most of his professional time in the Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio, from 1948 to his retirement in 1974. About 10 years ago, in 1981, he moved to a warmer climate, Palm Beach, Florida, with his wife, Carol, so they could spend the golden years relaxing, golfing, painting, and, in the case of Jack, endlessly tinkering. My goal with this assignment is to document the life and work of one Jack Garrett and, well, hopefully get to know him a little better in the process. January 2nd, 1991, 5.02 p.m. Arrived at Grandpa's house, taking a moment before I go inside. Still looks the same on the outside, maybe a little worse for wear. I'm about ten minutes outside of town. I guess you'd call it the country if you grew up in the Midwest like me. Nearest house is about a mile down the road in either direction. That's one of the main reasons my dad wants to move him into a rest home. Truth be told, that's one of my other objectives while I'm down here. Help talk to him. You know, help talk to him into reading through some of these pamphlets and maybe he'll come round. It's not just a physical distance or, or him being able to get up and down stairs. It's also, well, symptoms of dementia. It's not real bad yet, but we've picked up on some signs and just want to stay ahead of it. It's not fun to talk about, to be honest, but um, here we are. January 2nd, 1991. 10.52 p.m. Starting to bed down for the night. Had a great time catching up with Jack in the front room. I cooked us up some burgers, and he immediately hauled out a couple beers from his cooler. Sat on the porch, looking at the stars, and talking for a good four hours or so. He's still sharp as a tack, about 80% of the time. I'm not going to let that bum me out, though. Uh, it's so great to see him, and I... I really love the old guy. We didn't talk much at all about my project, preferring to just catch up and talk about the family. He was most happy to hear about my younger sister and all her gymnastics medals. 
That's what happens when you're the baby of the family, though, you know? He says he's usually up at 0700. So, after some coffee and breakfast, and maybe me sleeping in a little later than him, we may do our first session. I'm looking forward to it. January 3rd, 1991, 8.53 a.m. Okay, Grandpa, can you state your name and rank? Is this on the record? (laughs) Well, my name is Jack Garrett, engineer, retired 1974, and you can call me Jack. Okay, Jack, and how long have you lived in Florida? My late wife Carol and I moved down here in 1981, We both wanted a warmer climate, and I was ready to retire and relax a bit. Seemed smarter to do that in the sun rather than the snow. I mean, it's January 3rd. Is your dad sitting in, what, two feet of cold white stuff right now? (laughs) Yeah, about that much. So, tell me about this room we're sitting in. Sure, it's my study, I guess you could say. Office, what have you. It used to be your grandma's sewing and painting room, but after she passed, I didn't want to look at her belongings anymore. I donated them to a local church and essentially took it over as my office. I used to have all this stuff in the basement. I'd spend hours down there looking at old photos and documents, playing old reel-to-reel tapes. The stairs got harder for me to navigate over the last few years, so with the help of a friend, I hauled some stuff up here and set up shop. It was also just a little depressing down there, spending all day in the dark. So this is all your material for when you were an engineer at NASA? Yes, most of it. Official papers and recordings, but also some materials and documents for some personal projects of mine. Gotta keep the mind sharp, you know. There's still some boxes of stuff down there. Heavy ones. Maybe you can help me bring those up sometime while you're here. I'd be glad to. Anything like that, I am happy to help. Um, what's that right there? That, sir, is a ham radio. Always used to use them at work, and now I just keep it around for fun. Truckers use it mostly, and I'll chat with them some nights when they're out on the road. They've got some stories, let me tell you. My friend Henry, who drives me to the groceries since your dad won't let me drive anymore, well, he lives a few miles away, and he's a ham radio enthusiast, too. In fact, I don't even have his phone number. We just talk on this thing. Oh, right, Henry. Do you think I'll I'll meet him on here? Hard to say. He knows you're here this month, so he may not be checking in with me as much told him you could probably help with any official transportation needs I might have. Of course I can. So yeah, I doubt it. Well, let me see. Henry? Henry? This is Jack. Are you there? Come back. Well, anyway, I can check again sometime. Maybe he'll be at his desk. Great. I'd, I'd love to talk to him. So, you hold several engineering patents. Can you... Tell me about one of them. Well, one that put me on the map, so to speak, was one that I developed during Korea. It was a soldier rescue and retrieval system. Basically, I hollowed out a torpedo and designed a pulley system that could be used by a helicopter. 
The copter would hover outside of enemy gunfire range and lower the torpedo down and penetrate the tree canopy. Like fishing. Yeah, you could say that. If the fish were shooting back at you, when the soldier was able to make it to the torpedo, he could jump inside and even fire a pistol out for cover through a slit I'd cut in the side. Wow. You must have helped a lot of soldiers out of tricky situations. I'd like to think so. It was hard work, but in the end, there was part of me that liked the idea that I was part of a unit that helped to save lives, not take them. War was a messy business, and I didn't have the stomach for a lot of it. I don't know how those guys did it. No judgment. We all did what we had to do. But I sleep better knowing I helped pull the men out rather than putting them in there. So wait, at first you were a civilian engineer, and that was your first project for the Army. I've always known you to work at NASA. Right. NASA got wind of the soldier retrieval system and thought it would be good for the Apollo missions. They'd had a method that was similar to mine for the Mercury and Gemini missions in the 50s and early 60s. But since manned spacecraft were becoming more the norm, they needed something that could not only retrieve the rocket booster and unmanned craft, but a more foolproof system that could retrieve living astronauts. That's where I came in. Wow. Yeah, I've heard Dad talk about it a little bit, but I had no idea you were so integral. Well, we all played our part. It's not like I was an astronaut or a rocket scientist. Still, I loved what I did. Look, see, here's a picture of the day we cracked the code on one of the early Apollo retrievals. Hundreds of simulations and practice splashdowns in the water, of course. Oh, wow. This is... No, this is great. Can you can you describe it for me? Sure. Well, the skinny, handsome guy right there in the front is me. Dig all the pens there, Jack. I know. Pocket protectors are the promise of nerds these days. But you ever have a pen burst in your pocket in a high-pressure situation? Literal high-pressure I carried five or six at all times, and it was a necessity. Carol hated shirts ruined by ink. Anyway, that's my team standing behind me. We're in a climate-controlled hangar at Wright Pat in Dayton. That's where we hit our first benchmark, and later that week, our system was packed up to run its first real-life test in the Pacific. Came to work with a celebration hangover the next day, I'll admit. I'm sure you deserved it. That crew certainly did. I worked with some good people in those days, driven with a dedication that verged on madness sometimes. I mean, the whole nation was watching, and we just had to beat the Russians to the moon. Long hours, I bet. Oh, yes. How did, uh, how did Grandma deal with that? Like, you gone all the time. Ah, she was a saint. We had our problems sometimes, just like anyone else. But she knew the work was important and supported me every step of the way. Zero complaints here. But yes, that dedication was necessary. 
And it sure paid off when I got to shake the hands of the men that I helped pull from the ocean. So, did you get to meet the astronauts? Yeah, sure. I mean, not every one of them, and some not for very long. Some were friends, and still are. Some were merely co-workers. But I did my best to shake the hand of all of them when they returned. Especially the first two men on the moon after their splashdown. Yes. What was that like? I can only imagine. Well, that one, the Apollo 11, that wasn't as thrilling as you might think. By that point, I was splitting my time between Wright Pat, Houston, and sometimes the Cape. I was on hand in Houston in mission control when they pulled Neil and the boys from the ocean. I couldn't wait to talk to him, just like everyone else. But they were immediately led to a quarantine, so the glad handing would have to wait. Quarantine? Yeah. NASA thought they might bring back some sort of moon box. Well, a sickness, a virus. You gotta remember... We had no idea what was up there. Hell, some people weren't even convinced that the moon was solid rock and that the lunar lander might sink into the surface like melted cheese. So anything was possible, really. So when did you meet him? It wasn't until after the press conference. The boys got up and talked for an hour or so about the mission. This was 19 days after they splashed down. They were monitored for all 19 of those days. And at the end of that stretch, they gave their presentation in a very subdued way. What do you mean? Well, for three men that had just touched the stars in a way that mankind has never done, they seemed so reserved. A couple forced laughs, prepared jokes, but I'd barely even call it in good spirits. They seemed beaten down almost. Strange. How so? Well, let me show you. I've watched this tape a thousand times. Let me cue it up. Okay. In this program, which has really been a very short piece of human history, an instant in history, the entire program, it's uh, a beginning of a new age. Neil, how much descent fuel did you have left when you actually shut You see, they look shaken, sounding sure of themselves. Well, maybe they were just not ready for prime time. Couldn't it be argued that they were meticulous, calculated, careful? Not exactly actors prepared for public speaking. Of course, but why so calculated? No, I, I mean scientific. Maybe they were just giving a dry recitation of what happened from an engineering, science, and piloting standpoint. Perhaps, but you've never had dinner with any of these guys. There was a spark to all of them prior to the moon landing. For some reason, that light dimmed a little when they returned. Not darkened. I just think they came back startled. Yeah, but you're just simply reading body language. Do you have any other sources to back up what you're insinuating? Sources? I am the source. I know them. No, I mean medical documents from their quarantine. Or, more importantly, memos regarding what they were trained to say. Evidence. No, but like I said, I knew those guys. Okay, okay. I guess this is more of a human interest story than 
hard journalism anyway. Is one more important than the other? Maybe. Let me, let me try a different approach. Is it possible that our brains are just not ready for space travel? Our brains might be ready, but perhaps not our minds, not our consciousness. At least not in 1969. What do you mean? Jack. I think I'm done for a bit. Okay. January 3rd, 1991, 4.50 p.m. Yeah, Dad, I'm recording, but, uh, I don't think it can pick you up. Yeah. Yeah, it's been really good. I mean, got in yesterday, just kind of hung out, and then today we, we started the project. Yep, totally cogent so far. Fun talking about the old days, yeah. <laughs> no. Not yet. I I brought all the brochures, but I kind of want to wait a bit before I bring up the retirement home. I know, I know. End end of January enrollment. Yep. Might be a tall order. I'm just saying. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Okay, thanks, Dad. I'll, uh, I'll talk to you soon. January 4th, 1991, 3.05 p.m. Jack decided it was afternoon nap time, so we parted ways for a laydown. I was lying here on the guest bed looking around the room when I noticed stacks of old journals on the bookshelf. And sure enough, these are grandma's. I remember she would sit at the dining room table in my parents' house when they'd visit for a week at a time, filling them with the day's activities. I feel a little bit bad flipping through these, but why keep these and not destroy them late in life if you didn't want to keep them as personal records? I'll read through these over the next few days and record any that speak to me. Here's a sweet entry, dated January 31st, 1967. Went to a nice dinner with Jack tonight. He and his colleagues were celebrating the imminent launch of AS-204, coming up in about three weeks. It was Jack's department heads, Stan, Richard, Steve, and Ed, Eddie. We got to get all dressed up and eat in the private room at Carlisle's. After the formal meal, we all switched up spaces at the table for cigarettes and nightcaps. The men talked business at one end of the table most of the night, and I sat with Ed, Eddie's wife, Claire, and the other wives. From time to time, I'd catch his eye, though. We'd share a smile across the table, and I knew we'd always be fine. He looked so good in his suit, his pressed shirt, his silver rocket cufflinks. Boy, can that man dress. I lucked out in that department. The way he held the attention of his colleagues made my heart flutter with admiration. By the end of the night, our two groups had merged again, and Ed, Eddie, stood, holding court with a whiskey in one hand and a cigarette in the other, being a gas, cracking everyone up. He's a charmer, but in a different way from Jack. I'll have to suggest another double date soon. Good night. January 6th, 1991, 12.30 p.m. Tell me more about NASA. Not so much the ins and outs of the work, but what was it like to work there, socially, 
Did you have a lot of friends there? They were my only friends, practically. The hours that we worked made it so there was little social time outside of work. And usually, we'd hit the bar late to decompress, but still managed to talk about the work. Almost by default, all of our wives became friendly with each other and formed book clubs and looked after kids and whatnot. There were times, I'll admit, it felt like we were on top of the world. Us engineers weren't as glamorous as the astronauts, but in our own little way, there was a feeling like we were in Hollywood some nights. Hollywood? That may be overselling it, but... There was a fever in the air for space. Maybe it was the uh, nationalistic competition with the Russians in the late 60s. It was just, okay, let me put it this way. It might be hard for you to grasp just how profound it was to land on the moon in 1969. The years leading up to it was a fever pitch of work, media attention, and celebrations for most of our missions. This all seemed to culminate in 69, of course. For thousands of years, humans could barely walk upright. And now, we're on the damn moon. Who were your best friends from the time? They'd be Richard Boyd and Ed Eddie Weldon. Ed? Eddie? (laughs) Yeah, he, he was a funny guy. Always introduced himself as Ed or Eddie. He seemed oddly self-conscious about it, like when he was a kid, he was Eddie. And by the time he became an engineer, he wanted to be an Ed or an Edward. But he still had the personality of an Eddie, if you know what I mean. So when meeting someone new, he'd always say, I'm Ed Eddie. And it stuck. And he worked with you in the retrieval department. Yes, up until about 68. Then he got moved over to the big job, rockets. We'd worked together for over a decade at that point. But everyone wanted to work in rockets, so when he got the opportunity to take it, I couldn't blame him. Did you still see him around? Oh, sure. Just not as often. We'd still try to hit Max's for a beer after work once a week or so. But he seemed to calm down a little. How so? Well, Ed Eddie was always the life of the party. Brilliant man and could really put away a drink. He kept all the women laughing at the table, sometimes in tears. This is not at all to say that he wasn't brilliant. He was. He just managed to really manage that sweet spot at being focused at the task on hand one moment and taking the piss the next. But when he moved over to the rockets, the jovial side of him slid a little. Maybe it was a renewed focus. Maybe it was a pressure to really step up to prove that he was more than just a jokester and had earned his place among the other men and women who were on the cutting edge of known science at the time. Did that fracture the group of friends at all? No, no, not yet. Like I said, we'd still have barbecues, and he'd still show up on the weekends in that same damn powder blue polo shirt he always wore. He would always ask me how we were doing in retrieval, but when I asked how the work in rockets was going, he'd be evasive, or worse yet, quiet. Ed Eddie was never a quiet man. 
There was talk that they were developing some incredible new technology over there in rockets. But even plying him with aged scotch, I couldn't get him to spill any beans. He could be three sheets on a Saturday night, and if the topic turned to his department, he'd seal up tighter than a drum. Was he still fun at parties? Uh, Not the way he used to be. He'd still laugh to a degree. But if he got a little drunk, he'd have more of the thousand-yard stare about him, and that just doesn't mix well with a four-family barbecue on a beautiful Saturday afternoon. Interesting. It seems to me it might be more than just applying himself intensely, you know? How do you mean? Well, shouldn't he be happy that he's finally rubbing shoulders with scientists and engineers that he always idolized? Work hard still, yes, of course, but someone so jovial didn't bask in his success just a little. You'd think so. You really would. But, well, we always knew there was something going on over there in Rockets. There were strange rumors at the time. Of what? Of of propulsion systems that seemed to be developed more quickly than what could have been expected. Even with the government's top minds working on them? Let's just say that some of us believe that there were materials being used on some of those Apollo missions that were far more advanced than what we had access to at the time, both in the rocket and computing field. January 8th, 1991, 9.08 p.m. Jack kind of clammed up at the end of the last interview. It seemed like he felt like he had said too much or something. I'm not entirely sure what he was getting at. I know the man has probably signed more NDAs than most who work for the government, but it was still odd. We had lunch this afternoon at his favorite spot, Chuck's Diner, just in town. We kept away from the NASA talk, and I found it was my turn to talk about life in Ohio. I didn't mind. He seemed really happy to be on the listening end of things. But as I was settling the bill, he came out of the men's room, slacks unbuttoned, belt undone, shirt untucked, with a glazed look in his eye. I ran over to help, and it only took a few moments, but all eyes were on us as I fixed him up. He made sure to say bye to Chuck on our way out, though he passed a memorial on the wall that tastefully announced that Chuck of Chuck's Diner had passed five years ago. I thought of Grandma's diary entry and the dapper, well-put-together man that she stared adoringly at down the table from her. It meant a big deal. But this is where some in-home assistance could come in handy. The room. I don't know this room. Half dirt. Concrete. Concrete wall. Symbols drawn on the wall. Candles all around. I I don't know. Cardboard boxes over there. Over there. Who's there? Whispers. Whispers in the dark. Uh, Hello? 
someone near. Who are you? Jack? Who's, who's down here with me? I'm in the base. I'm in the ba- basement now. I'm, 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 I'm waiting. I'm waiting for them. I'm waiting for them. January 9th, 1991, 10am. Okay, headed down into the basement to get a few things I guess we need for the next interview. Creepy old wooden steps? Check. Dimly lit? Check. Spiderwebs? Check. I can see why he moved his operation upstairs. Just kind of depressing down here. It's a half-finished basement, wood paneling mixed with cement wall. Almost like they stopped halfway through finishing the project. There's an old desk. Wait, two old desks. Lamps. And about six boxes of... Well, looks like reel-to-reel tapes, old photos, and documents. Oh! Yeah, yep. Old tapes are heavy. These babies are going up one at a time. Hmm. Hmm. Looks like a section of the stone wall near the old desk is marked. There are chalk marks on the stone, but I don't, I don't recognize them. Almost looks like mathematical symbols. And on the floor, a lantern on each side where the stone meets more wood paneling. They look deliberately placed, but who knows? There's junk strewn here and there, so... Not sure if it's in any sort of organized piles, as my mom says. January 9th, 1991, 7.10 p.m. Brought about six boxes of stuff up from the basement and delivered to Jack's office. He told me it'd be a few minutes before he was ready because he wanted to go through the boxes himself first. That was about eight hours ago. Just ordered some takeout and placed it by the door. Knocked a couple times, and he's just replied he'd be done and ready soon. So, I know he's okay. Guess he's in deep with those old boxes. In the meantime, I found another entry in my grandma's diaries. This one is a little concerning. I picked up one from after they moved to Florida, so we're talking 80s. Let's see. July 7th, 1984. Jack and I ran errands earlier in the day and had a nice picnic lunch by the lake. Had plans to do a little golfing later in the afternoon, but on my way out at the lake parking lot, Jack had another one of his episodes. There were some earth movers and construction vehicles doing work nearby, and Jack mistook them for military vehicles. When I tried to calm him down, explain that it was just a dump truck working on the canal, He began to sweat, and his eyes got huge and dilated. He insisted that I pull up beside so we could look under the tarp on what he saw as a flatbed trailer. He was convinced the vehicles were moving something secret from one base to another, just when I think I'm either getting used to these hallucinations or they might be over, another one comes roaring back. I know my sweet Jack isn't crazy, but... This is getting hard. January 10th, 1991, 9 a.m. Okay, Jack. 0900. You ready? 
Fire away. Actually, you want to try Henry again on the radio? Just for fun? Maybe he's maybe he's sitting there. Couldn't hurt. Hey, Henry, just saying hi over there. Going through some old things in the office with Michael. Come back. Hey, Jack. Have a good time with your grandson. Will do, sir. Over and out. Hey, that was neat. At least I got to hear him once. Yeah. Sometimes that's all we say for a few days. He's a good man. Doesn't require a lot of attention, if you know what I mean. Anyway. So, what were in those boxes that you spent all day going through yesterday? I'm sorry. I hope I didn't ruin your interview schedule with that. It's just that I wanted to refresh my memory with what was in the boxes, pull a few things to talk about, and then I just got enamored. I couldn't stop. I didn't mean to ignore you. I hope that's okay. Yeah, yeah. It's No, it's totally fine. I, I checked on you and made sure you ate the takeout by the door. Thanks for that. Gotta eat, I always say. Gotta eat. Right. So... So I take it you found something interesting in there. Yes, you could say that. Well, first tell me a little more about the basement. I've never seen it before. Looks like it was partially finished. Yes, that's true. It was an unfinished basement and coal room when we bought the place. I didn't like seeing the space go to waste, so I tried to set up a little workable office down there. It was at least a place where I could put the stuff... If I was having a day where, well, when I didn't want to see it. But I was always drawn down there. And I'd spend whole sunny afternoons while Carol was playing golf, doing what retirees should be doing. Just listening to old recordings, rereading old logs I'd kept, looking at photos. I did my best thinking down there. Carol suggested I finish it up, keep putting up the wood paneling, install a bar, a hi-fi stereo, a place where I could have the guys over. You have guys here in Florida? Well, that was part of the lack of motivation. We had a social life, but no one I wanted to allow to see all this stuff in a corner while having a cocktail in the other corner at the newly built bar. So... I was half finished, or even a third finished, when Carol started getting sick. So I saw little point in spending my time fully building it out. I definitely didn't want to be down there anymore. So that's when I started hauling things upstairs, as I mentioned a few days ago. I'd go down and root through the boxes if I needed something specific, but never found the time or the muscles to bring the rest upstairs. So thanks for your help yesterday. My pleasure. So what's the first thing you want to show me from this collection? Have you ever heard of number stations? No, I don't believe so. Well, number stations were first used in the 1920s. They were broadcast stations of mysterious origin that would send radio signals out on obscure frequencies. They're commonly believed to be a way that people in military command could speak with either soldiers or spies in far-off locations, such as behind enemy lines. They were most commonly just a series of numbers read in intervals, and the recipient would know how to tune a radio to this secret frequency to receive the encoded message. What did the signal consist of? Numbers. Just numbers. 
read in a very specific order that the recipient would then have a cipher memorized and be able to decode the message. It was primitive, but it worked. Hell, I think they're still in use today. Strange. Strange, yes, but effective when done right. In the 60s, I heard tell of these being used overseas, but also even used here in the United States. A way for people up top to communicate in secret with various agents, whether to root out communism, spy on civil rights leaders, or even to discuss technologies that were not known to the public yet. What do you mean? Let me show you. Listen. I've sat and listened to these for hours. This particular one I picked up and recorded in, say, 1971. (laughs) Wow. Do you know what it means? I feel like I've come close to cracking the code, but never managed. I asked around, quietly, mind you, to some of my contacts. But as you can imagine, no one on an Air Force base wanted to talk about cracking codes. At least, not from a private collection. Makes sense. The one man I could talk to about it was Ed Eddy. Before he was moved to Houston, we spent hours going over these recordings. We tried to crack them ourselves, but no luck. When did Ed Eddy move? March of 1973. There were supposed to be two more Apollo missions, but they got canceled by the time he moved down there. At first, he was frustrated, but I'll tell you, there was no lack of work for a skilled rocket scientist. Apollo was the last thing he could freely talk about, though. What do you mean? Ed, Eddie, and I spoke on the phone a few times, and then... Let's just say that it wasn't uncommon for Jay Eggers' boys to be listening in on the phone conversations of people who had certain access to certain technologies within NASA. We thought it best to communicate in a more clandestine way. So we created our own cipher and began what was three years of communication by number station. Really? I mean, how? With some time, we were able to find a couple unused hidden frequencies that we thought would be safe enough. Had a primary and a backup. Okay, sure, but, but why? I mean, what was so important that you couldn't speak over the phone? This is where things get strange, kids, so buckle up. Remember when I said that Ed Eddie had started clamming up in social situations? Well, he was a bit of a changed man based on what he was working with at the base. There were technologies that he was adapting to our own space program that were not from around here. I don't get it. Listen, I don't have a full grasp on it, and I don't think Ed Eddie did either. But he was made privy to a lot of information at a high level, and then started wondering who was feeding it to him. There's a whole wing of the early space program steeped in mystery, whether it be Jack Parsons and his thelemic practices, to what Neil and the boys may have seen on the moon. You mean... Your belief based on the recording of the press conference you showed me a couple days ago. Yes, and Ed Eddie was on to something. 
I think it had something to do with some descendants of Jack Parsons' followers. That guy was into some stuff, let me tell you. We talked about it over the years, slowly, but only came into a few ideas when, well, I received his last message in June of 1976. You mean, did he pass away? No, he disappeared. I received his last number station message, and then two days later, before I could respond via radio, his wife called me to find out if he had come back to Ohio, back to Wright Pat. I said no, I hadn't seen him in years. She was distraught. They never did find him. Up and vanished. Uh, Jack, that's not possible. Of course it is. People go missing. Here, need one of your primary sources? Here's a clipping from a newspaper. They only send off the men got. Just a small report. Gone missing. Any information greatly appreciated. And then nothing. What did you do? We held a funeral for him a few months later when his wife declared him dead. NASA took care of it, made sure she was comfortable, until she died in 1981. But I, I just thought, well, it didn't sit well with me, so, so I recorded a message on this here reel-to-reel, and it's been broadcasting on our frequency ever since. Here. My God. And this has been running for... 15 years now. And I wonder who's listening out there. Radio signals can go deep into space, you know. Wonder if we'll get a response soon. January 12th, 1991, 3.08 a.m. I woke up to refill my glass of water in the kitchen, but on my way there, I heard his voice. Listen. You see, if you're going to spend any time here, you have to familiarize yourself with the rules. Yes, there are rules here. In this home, there are rules. In the home they'd like to send me to, there are rules. Let me explain. January 13th, 1991, 2.05 p.m. So, Jack, who were you talking with last night? I got up last night for a drink of water, and you were sitting in the chair in the kitchen, talking to what seemed like a group of people, but I didn't see anyone. Talking about rules? Hmm, sure you didn't dream it? No, no, it, it was you. I, I got it on tape. You know, how about I ask you a few questions? Turn it around here. Tell me, what are the girls like at Ohio University? Got a girlfriend? <laughs> uh, fair enough. Uh, no. No, I don't. Uh, not really making time for that. Oh, but you should. I don't know what I would have done without my Carol. Met her when I was your age, too. It's a great time to be alive, your age. 20, right? 21. Right, right, 21. Well, shouldn't put off marriage too much longer. It's nice to settle down, you know. Yeah, maybe. 
There's a few people I have my eye on, but most are just sort of orbital crushes. We kind of orbit around each other, you know? Like, nothing really ever happens, but it's, it's nice to see them when I do. Orbital, huh? Well, then one of you is just going to have to make the decision to stay put. Stop spinning and spinning and focus. Pull the other one in, you know, gravitationally. Is that how you met your wife? My wife? Yeah. Hmm. I can't really remember. She was a beam of light, though. Right from the sky. What was her name? Carol. Right, right. Carol. And... How did you meet her? Oh, you just have to ask my grandson. He's a journalism student at Ohio University. He likes to talk to people, take down their stories. Oh. (laughs) Oh. Well, he sounds like an interesting guy. He is, very much so. He keeps track of things like that in the family. I think I told him the story once. Very smart kid. Good, top-quality student. I've told other grandparents that mine are the best in the bunch, I like to say. You know, he's supposed to come visit me soon, actually. Maybe I could put you two in touch. January 13th, 1991, 9.10 p.m. Yeah, Dad, it's, uh, it's, it's going okay, but you're right. He, he didn't recognize me today. Kind of flipped like a switch. We were... Just chatting about how he met Grandma, and it was like all of a sudden I I wasn't there. And last night, I swear, I heard him talking to someone about the retirement home. Like he was reading right out of the pamphlets, but I... I haven't brought it up yet. I haven't... haven't shown him the literature. I know. I, I know. Just... I know. It's hard to bring up, right? I mean... Okay. Okay, I'll talk soon. Hey. I can't, I can't move. I think, I think someone's in my room with me. The door, the door is open. I can't move. They're getting, they're getting closer. I can see them, but I can't. January 14th, 1991, 6.10 p.m. What do you got there, Jack? A very special bottle of whiskey. Your dad got it one year for Christmas while your grandma and I were visiting. So why do you have it? Oh, bottle of Jack shaped like Ohio. This is great. This pairs well with a backyard view of the stars. So, you were two years old at the time and screaming and crying your fool head off because you were teething. Your dad, not a drinker, brought this home and put it in the cupboard while I admittedly just stared on and licked my lips, if you know what I mean. That night, we were watching some old home movies, and your mom just couldn't get you down. So I did what every self-serving man would do. I suggested that your dad open it up and rub some on your gums. 
shut you right up, and you were asleep in minutes. <laughs> yeah, I see. And I assume after it was open, you helped yourself. <laughs> Naturally. A guest in a man's house doesn't open up a new bottle on his own. But after open, well, fair game. I had two drinks, and your dad slipped it into my luggage. Found it when I got home. I held on to it. Thought I'd have the next drink with you. Well, here we are. Fill her up. Here you go. Still good. So, what's the occasion? Hmm. How to put this? Have you heard of the concept of the overview effect? No, I, I haven't. What's that? It's a sensation that astronauts have experienced when they first come into Earth's orbit. They look down at our planet for the first time and feel a truly profound sense of wonder and connection to all things, as if we're not just Americans and not even just humans, but spiritually connected with all things on this planet and in the universe. Wow. That sounds... Amazing. It's been noted in so many returning astronauts. They feel like they have a new purpose to better our planet, to take care of your fellow man, to connect with life on a spiritual level. You mean like God? Religion? Mm, Not quite. It's not really about God. What do you mean? You used to go to church. I did, sure. But that was always more about the social element. And staying in good standing with your grandmother. No, no, look. I have no problem with the idea of a benevolent God, provided that those who adhere to his teachings do so in the name of good. However, I don't want to believe that I'm only working towards some sort of salvation that only he can provide. I think I believe more in ascension through learning about the self my interior versus an exterior God. I always wanted to be self-reliant. Okay. It's ascension versus salvation. Religion teaches you salvation, that an all-knowing God grants you that you're worthy of a higher consciousness. Ascension is when you take control. Why wait for God to allow you into feeling connected with the cosmos? And you think that the astronauts that experienced the overview effect, those who were able to literally ascend to the heavens, were able to gain a, a new spiritual knowledge? I think that was the start for some, yes. Others were able to make contact with that consciousness, to learn from it, to download ideas, perhaps, to work with new technologies to aid in further contact. You mean... New technologies? Like the ones Eddie may have been working with? I believe so. I believe that to be true, yes. Jack, I feel like you've been dancing around something here. Technologies, contact, your time with NASA. Are are you talking about aliens? Maybe. And so what if I am? I don't know what they are. They could be pure thought for all I know. I don't know where they come from or if they're little gray men, but it's something. So, you believe in flying saucers? Spaceships? Look, Michael, I've spent the better part of two and a half decades searching for answers. 
Maybe that's what a man does once he reaches a certain age. I worked on the cutting edge of aviation science, stayed up late into the night with men who have orbited the Earth and walked on the moon and discussed matters that none of us could possibly fully understand. I still don't follow. Damn it, son. I've been at this for years. And yes, I know you and your dad have plans to deal with this dementia, this brain of mine. Evidence of this started mounting before these episodes. But wh- where is this e- evidence? You have some tapes, some old photos. I'm, I'm not, I'm not seeing anything like a primary source. Anyone on record speaking on this? Just insinuations, hearsay. Oh, back to the ace journalists here. Sometimes you have to look beyond that. Just mm, there are other ways to learn things, to feel things, to tap into things, to know. But at some, at some point, you have to be able to show what you've got. Is that what they teach you at Ohio University? This was a bad idea. Never mind. Here, let's finish our drinks. I didn't think this through. January 17th, 1991, 2.30 p.m. First entry in a couple days. The last interview got, got pretty heated. So, we've been taking a break from the project. Just thought we'd be family for a couple days, went mini-golfing, got some ice cream, took a walk around the lake. I think tonight we're, we're going to go to a bar. Just for a bit, though. Said he wanted to be back tonight for something. January 17th, 1991, 9.30 p.m. Outside Pat's Bar and Grill, so bring up a bit before we go home. How many did you have, Jack? Three whiskey sours and a rusty nail. <laughs> one whiskey and two light beers here. But uh, knew I'd be the one behind the wheel, so... Feeling okay to drive. I will if we sit here a bit. Been drinking water since when you grabbed that nail. Thought you were uh, going to deck that guy when he suggested the moon landing was fake. <laughs> I should have. Kids don't know what they're talking about. No one like that used to come around here when Carol and I used to come out. Right. You said you hadn't been back here since she died? Never saw the point. Got drinks at home. But it's nice to get out sometimes. You know, see other people. Only people I wanted to see was Carol. I was happy to skip out on the bar when she was gone. Plus, no one to dance with now. You two danced? She danced. I just sort of shimmied around. It made her happy. That's why I did it, mostly. I like that. I loved it. Do you think about her often? I talk to her all the time. Does she talk back? Sometimes. Expand on that. No. January 7th, 1991, 10.48 p.m. He's sitting outside in his lawn chair, just looking up at the sky. He says he does it all the time. I can see why. It's peaceful out there. I asked him if he wanted company, and he just said, Not tonight. I can respect that. Maybe I'll broach another interview tomorrow. For now, sleep time. There's the door. 
There's the door at the end of the hallway. The, the door, if I can get there. The door. There's, there's light. There's someone in here. Someone in here with me. January 18th, 1991, 7.32 a.m. Up early, looking at one of Grandma's journals again before I go make Jack some breakfast. Dated 1985, Jack tried to call one of his guys at the Pentagon again today. I overheard him asking for Ed, Eddie, or for anyone with knowledge of his whereabouts. I knew he was having one of his spells, so when I took the receiver, the man on the other end, asked me how we had this unlisted number. I panicked and hung up. Jack sometimes doesn't remember what he had for dinner, but remembers high-level government phone numbers that he never bothered to write down. January 18th, 1991, 7.45 a.m. So I, um... I just rewound back to double-check something from my notes, and I... I heard a recording that I that I do not remember making. That's that's pretty freaky. It sounds like I may have been sleepwalking. I haven't done that since I was a kid, but there were other sounds. I I can't help but feel uneasy about it. I am I, um, I didn't put a date stamp at the beginning like I always do. I'm gonna have a think on that one. January 18th, 1991, 12.15pm. So, Jack's door has been shut all morning. I heard him snoring early on, so I know he's okay. Soon after I knocked, I could hear him weakly say that he was fine. Just didn't feel like talking today. I don't get it, but he's a grown-ass man and can sleep in if he wants. Maybe he was sleepwalking a little bit too last night. I'll keep checking. January 18th, 1991, 7.08. Well, I slipped some food in there earlier, and the tray is now on the other side of the door. Nice of him to let me know that he's eating, but still seems like he doesn't want to talk. Me? I've been a little freaked out all day, and I just want to talk to him. I've listened to that recording over and over, I should probably stop. I think I'll just poke around in his study a little and then sleep early. Maybe give Dad a ring. Nine, three. Shit. What's... What's his number? Nine, three something? January 19th, 1991, 10.32 a.m. Slept late today. I guess that's a good thing, since I don't know exactly how long I was awake the previous night. Been thinking this morning, though, I'm not sure about half of this stuff. I feel a little guilty writing this up. I mean, come on. Aliens, cosmic consciousness, thelemic ritual. I don't want him to be tarnished. This is serious. He's a decorated engineer, a father, a husband. My memories of him are full of love, not government conspiracy. January 19th, 1991, 
January 18th, 1991, 4.35 p.m. So, tell me, where have you been the last day and a half? In my room, exactly where you left the sandwiches and water. Thank you, by the way. I know that. I I mean, it's not like you had a two-day hangover. I'm, I'm just curious why you isolated yourself. Doesn't really matter now. At this point, I mean, I feel great. Do you do that often? Stay in bed for days at a time? It happens sometimes after a particularly close brush with them. With who? With what we were talking about a few nights ago. Them, that presence. All those things that I can't explain to your liking. Did that recorder come in handy? There was something on there I can't explain. Yes. Ah, but something was on there, wasn't there? How did you know? I've been doing this for years now, boy. I know the pattern. And it seems we're getting closer, or at least I'm getting closer. To, to what? To where I'm trying to go. Look, I know you and your dad want to move me into a home. Let me make you a deal. If you can just give me a few more nights of peace with you here in my home, talking, I'll consider it. I just don't want to think about moving right now. This place is still my castle. Jack, are you stalling for something? No, no, of course not. I'll consider your facility. If you can just hold it off to the end of the month. Just let me be around a few more days. I think, I think Ed Eddie is trying to contact me. I owe it to him to wait. January 19th, 1991. 8.35 p.m. I've been thinking, and I know this sounds accusatory, but just, just bear with me. Did you agree to this because you thought it would be nice to spend time with me for a school project, or did you really want me to get this story on the record? Let's just say the timing is a happy coincidence. Want another snoot of Ohio whiskey? The timing for what? And sure, yeah, yeah, uh... Fill her up. I just... Maybe being ready to talk about all of this. On the record, of course. If I may ask, how do you... A decorated engineer, a man of science, square the fact that you are saying on tape, on the record, that you believe in little green men. It's not that I believe in your little green or gray men. It's simply that I firmly believe that throughout all my work as an engineer with NASA, my independent inquiries, that there is something out there that at times is less out there and more all around us here. You can call that aliens, religion, I don't care. I think that we've been able to reach whatever that thing is at different points in time to actually communicate with it. And that ability has escalated over time, especially since the 40s. And then Apollo 11 and the first steps on the moon, really. I don't know. Open something up. Something big. Okay. Back to the strange press conference that I didn't find that strange. Do you know what Neil Armstrong did in 1976, just a few years after he walked on the moon? He traveled to Ecuador to investigate a series of underground caverns that purported to hold information regarding ancient civilizations that may have ties to off-world intelligences. Neil did, the man that I knew. 
I think his trip to the moon changed him. And those 19 days he spent in quarantine were a type of debriefing of what he saw up there. What does that have to do with you and, and here and the house? I'm simply stating that a man that underwent the most rigorous of psychological tests, a man whose life was dedicated to science, in the end needed to explore what might be when science could no longer provide answers. Okay, I'm not sure how I feel about that, but I, I hear what you're getting at. Maybe you can meet me in the middle somewhere on this one. I think so. I mean, I don't completely understand what you're getting at, but I, I, I feel like there have been enough strange things going on here that I can at least listen. Strange, eh? I call it wonderful. Well, it's almost time to sleep for the night. Okay. Not much left here. Should we kill the bottle? I say we save that last bit for when we part ways. Deal. Good night, Jack. Night. January 20th, 1991, 8.30 a.m. I've been up for a bit, but I, I can't find Jack. He's just gone and nowhere. I'm, I, I don't understand. I'm slipping. Jack! Slipping. Jack! Slipping. Jack! Slipping. I don't know where he is. It's not like him to just leave. Maybe he's slipping. wandered off. I, I, I should have taken his dimension more seriously. I'm slipping. January 20th. 1991, 8.50 a.m. I just ran the perimeter of his property. No luck. Maybe I can raise Henry on the radio. It's beautiful. Henry, are you there? Come back. I may see. Henry? Henry? A beginning of a new age. January 20th, 1991, 9 a.m. So, on the counter is the Ohio-shaped bottle of Jack that we almost killed last night. Two rocks glasses, one empty, looks freshly drunk. The other, the last shot of the bottle. Jesus, the, ba the basement. No, not down here either, but God. The concrete wall, the unfinished wall, there are lit candles on the floor on either side of where the concrete meets wood paneling and what looks like burn marks on the concrete wall almost almost man-sized man-shaped I, I, I don't know what the smell of smoke burnt burnt skin is, is in the air wait Carol. His, his recorder in the den that sound sorry has no interest in the constructs of time, at least in the ways you and I observe it. You're a smart boy, and I'm sure you'll be able to make sense of all of this in time. Please, Michael, if you choose to pursue anything that we discussed, be sure not to stare too deep into the abyss. We all know what happens when it stares back. Your grandpa loves you. How do your pops for you? I'm sorry I had to leave so abruptly, but the universe has no interest in the constructs of time, at least in the ways you and I observe it. You're a smart boy, and I'm sure you'll be able to make sense of all of this in due time. Please, Michael, if you 
choose to pursue anything that we discussed, be sure not to stare too deep into the abyss. We all know what happens when you stare us back. Your grandpa loves you. I do your pops for me. January 20th, 1991, 10 a.m. So, Jack seems to be gone and left me a cryptic recording. I'll pack up some of the stuff and take it with me. I don't even begin to know how to tell Dad about this. I feel, I feel like I need to take all of these tapes and documents back. Maybe... Dad could hop on a plane and just come down and help me sort it out. I, I don't... I don't know. I... I just wanted to learn about my grandfather and his experiences working with NASA. I had... I had no idea he was planning on... on leaving to, to wherever he's gone. Maybe I should go through all his recordings first. Well, after I call home, I'll... I'll sort this all when I get back to my dorm at, a at a... Jeez, what school did I go to again? Or... 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 Or God. I had completed my major task for going to the moon and was on the way home and was observing the heavens and the earth from this distance. Observing the passing of the heavens as we were rotating, I saw the earth, the sun, the moon, and a 360 degree panorama of the heavens. The magnificence of all of this what this triggered in my visioning in the ancient Sanskrit is called samadhi. It means that you see things with your senses the way they are, but you experience them viscerally and internally as a unity and a oneness accompanied by ecstasy. All matter in our universe is created in star systems. And so the matter in my body and the matter in the spacecraft and the matter in my partner's bodies was the product of stars. We are stardust. And we're all one in that sense. was written by James Strayer and narrated by Rick Wimberly and Nicholas Richardson. For more stories that haunt as well as a behind the scenes look at what we do and why we do it, you can join our Patreon at patreon slash pleaseleavepod. 
You can follow Please Leave on Facebook and Instagram at Please Leave Pod. Our email is pleaseleavepod at gmail.com and our website is pleaseleavepod.com. This has been a Please Leave Media production. Thank you.